This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. It's just after 9.35. Welcome to the show where we discuss what's working and what's not in stocks and markets. I'm Julian Ng together with Tan Chung Han. And this morning we have Devon Rajadurai, CIO and co-founder of Malayan Traders Capital. And today we're talking about making money in a US protectionist environment. So Devon, good morning and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here. Great. Uh, tell us a little bit about your firm. Give us some background about what you do. We essentially are an investment house. And what we do is we, uh, we take people's money and we help them. <laughs> it's always a nice yeah, thing, right? it's, That's what we do. But it's not just about taking their money. It's about helping pe- uh, people preserve their capital and growing it. And um, there are a lot of firms that do the same thing that we do. But the slight difference is what we're doing is essentially it started out with us uh, back in 07 investing just our own money, my money, my family's money, and later um, my uh, business partner's money. And we decided that actually if we are investing our own capital and we are growing our own capital and, and we're doing it with that same alignment of Got skin wealth, in the game. Skin in the game is the right word. Then uh, you realize you're doing a pretty good job. And so why not turn this into a business and get other people to invest alongside us? As I understand it, you have about 100 million ringgit assets under management. Is there a particular kind of strategy that you adopt that's different from other investment firms? Yeah, so uh, yeah, it used to be 100. It just grew to, grown to 150. The, maybe through, the year of the through rooster. Through returns or, or through new money? Through uh, returns and new money. So um, a lot of the initial growth came from returns. And in recent times, it came from new money because they saw the returns. I mean, what we're trying to do really, our strategy is quite simple actually. It just invests in global listed companies. So we will look. We will try to understand the industries uh, in the world. We will try to understand the economy, and we select companies. And we think is a company is going to be the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for example, uh, seven years ago it was Apple, and uh, this year it could be something else. Now earlier you spoke about preserving and also growing the uh, AUM that you have right now. So moving forward, though, at least for this year, where is the emphasis? Is it more on preserving or growing, given the global landscape right now? To us, it comes together. Uh, the the number one goal always is preserving. But why preserve at 2%? Why preserve at uh, 4%? Why not try to preserve in, in safe investments and try to do your best that you can do, but try to do it at more than 10% per annum? And it can be done. So if, was that your returns uh, over the last few years, 10% per annum? Uh, in fact, we try to aim higher. We try to aim 20% and we got 18% per annum since inception. So Is that uh, in ringgit terms or in US dollars? Uh, actually, in ringgit terms, it's 20 something. Uh, so in US terms, I think it's 18. So like when wow, we started out... Nice. We went up 150% since 2012 up to today. So it's always about preserving. But if you can preserve it well and pick the right stocks, pick the right investments, don't make too many mistakes. You always make some mistakes. So don't make too many mistakes. You can get an incredible return. We expect every five years to try to double our wealth. And that's a good way to preserve capital. If you get it wrong, every, uh, every six years, double well, seven years, double your well, it's still a good investment. So you're going on the offensive to, to be on the defensive. Yes. Um, so back to our, our topic today, which is making money in a U.S. protectionist environment. Do you personally fear, as a Malaysian, that there is rising protectionism? I think it's, uh, it's pretty obvious from the comments of the new President Trump. Uh, that he that is going to be his emphasis for his uh, tenure or his term, and um, but to me, is the word fear shouldn't be mentioned because uh, it is something that countries do. We ha- for us, we have our protectionism environment with uh, the cars we use to protect our uh, proton. 
Uh, every country uh, does it. It's just how they do it, and whether it benefits them, and whether and whether it uh, the effect globally is not as bad. But this time around, though, it's the U.S. that we're talking about, though, and this kind of this level of protectionism is uh, you know something that we haven't seen in a long, long time. So again, do the same strategies and principles apply given these uh, protectionist policies by President Trump? I mean, because it's one thing for Malaysia to claim protectionist policies, but it's a whole different kettle of fish for the U.S. to have this approach. The largest economy in the world. That's right. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw a contrast to China. Uh, China is a big, large economy, second largest economy in the world. Uh, and because we Malaysians or Southeast Asians uh, sit, uh, stay near China, most things that China does, we don't complain as much. When America does things, small things, we complain like, uh, you know, we, we, we have Facebook uh, We have blogs, a supporter so, here. We have a, yeah. <laughs> a Trump fan here. Yeah. <laughs> Not really a Trump fan, but I mean, at the end, I mean I'm slightly a Trump fan. Republican, are you? <laughs> uh, first Malaysian, yeah, probably a Republican also. So, uh, yeah, um, this fits in very well with your U.S. strategy because you earlier said that you have been largely investing uh, in U.S. stocks. And with this new uh, protectionist policy and with uh, Trumponomics on the rise, uh, it fits even better to this kind of strategy. Yeah, it does. Uh, I mean, our strategy is not so much always U.S. I mean, it, it, it changes, right? But it changes. We look at long-term, uh, long-term growth. And U.S. at this stage, I mean, for a long time, it's always been long-term growth. So we have been invested in U.S. since uh, day one. There's no sign that U.S. is slowing down. And it's a, it's a better thing for U.S. companies with protectionism po uh, policies if it's done the right way. Now, the question, of course, is whether it's done the right way. And what kind of stocks are you going to invest in? What, uh, tell us a little bit more about the strategy that you're going to embark on in this new era of uh, Trumponomics. So I give you an example, and we were talking about China earlier. And um, so, for example, in China, a couple of years back, Google was there, Facebook was thinking of entering it. Uh, China did the same thing. They did a protectionist policy. They basically essentially blocked all the internet companies from entering China. And before that, there was no such thing as Baidu, Tencent, and, and uh, Alibaba. And because of that protectionism environment, they allowed themselves to create their own homegrown global companies like Alibaba, which never existed five years ago in a big way. And so the same thing, you can, if you take that as an analogy, you can see the same thing in the US, whether it's in car manufacturing, perhaps Ford can compete better with Toyota. In fact, if you're in Malaysia right now, you can see Ford uh, vehicles being sold probably like five years ago, you were just buying Japanese cars. So those are examples. But here's the thing. Uh, you've got Trump's policies, though. They may be a double-edged sword, sword of sorts. I'll give you an example. Yes, on one hand, it could be a boon for uh, U.S. corporate earnings. But if you look at his recent moves in the immigration space, it could hurt, say, the U.S. tech sector in terms of their immigrant workflow. So how do you see the balance playing out here? If we, if we go to the immigration space, right, to be honest, that's more of a social issue than an economic issue because the, the wealth generated by a, a, a few migrants entering the country every year, and I don't think he's blocking every single migrant. I think he's being selective on who they, uh, he's trying to block, uh, mainly but there terrorists, etc. Uh, there are proposed rules for blocking um, tech talent from uh, going into the U.S. as well. I mean, uh, the tech companies right now, along the lines of Apple and Facebook, are huge companies in the United States right now. Do you think that this will bring the market down a little bit over there? 
uh, in terms I, of rising labor costs. I read some of the articles, but I'm not uh, I'm not sure how far it is in. Uh, and you have to be be mindful. Uh, even before when Trump was running for president, the media sometimes tends to write a bit extra. And so we don't really know what the exact policies is. But I think what, what I, uh, I remember from the election and what he says and what he tries to counter back on Twitter once in a while is that his protectionism is not blocking everybody. It's blocking selective people. So even in the tech sphere, it's blocking maybe certain uh, aspects of it. Maybe it's blocking some developers when you don't need to have these, uh, to import these developers from overseas. But he probably would not block like everybody. So I think that uh, one of the most immediate arguments to what you're saying is that protectionism has the effect of raising costs in the United States. If you buy local, you might not be buying the cheapest. Would this have long-term repercussions on the economy in terms of consumer sentiments and things like that? Um, this is like economic 101 and it's quite, it is. <laughs> it's it is. quite a complicated because question. Because when you, when, you tax, but, when you tax your citizens in the form of higher costs, higher prices, uh, while certain one or two companies may, may benefit, it might not be a good thing for the economy in the longer term, right? So, so I throw another analogy and this is Japan, right? Japan has been, uh, they, they call it a recession for a decade. Their pri- asset prices have been going down, food prices, everything has been going down. So they actually have been trying to increase prices, create inflation. So the idea is create inflation, higher wages, higher prices, everything works well. Uh, so if you believe in that form of uh, economics, higher prices is not an issue if the company is uh, growing its GDP, if wages are increasing. So at the end of the day, your purchasing power is the same, but your purchasing power is the same in that country, but significantly greater in the world. So that's what uh, Trump is trying to do by being America first. America will be the same, but in relation to the world, they'll be slightly greater through his policies. So just to make sure I capture your stance correctly when it comes to the U.S. tech sector, so overall, you are still optimistic about the potential in the U.S. tech sector, correct? Of course, because uh, one you have to realize is just looking at America alone. And to be honest, this uh, protectionism is supposed to help American companies, whether tech or any other company, within their own country. Now, uh, one thing good about tech sec- uh, the tech sector, I'm quite uh, favorable on tech, is because unlike any other tech company, um, the American tech companies tend to be significantly more innovative than any other company in the world. For example, we have Grab here, but Uber is doing a pretty good job in uh, competing over here. So Amer- this, uh, the American tech companies still have not gone truly global, global. In fact, Facebook is still trying to enter China. They never entered China. They're finding ways to enter China. Imagine if they could enter Latin America. They could enter China. They could enter Russia. Uh, th- there's a lot of growth there. This morning, we have Devan Rajadurai, CIO and co-founder of uh, the Malayan Traders Capital. And we're talking about making money in a U.S. protectionist environment. Coming up next, we look into some of the investing ideas uh, that Devan has, as well as how uh, the emerging markets would deal with this rising protectionism. You're listening to the SM Show, which is a show that's all about what's working and what's not in stocks and markets. And today we have Devan Rajadurai, who is a chief investment officer and co-founder of Malayan Traders Capital, which currently has about 150 million ringgit under management. Devan, we are talking about rising protectionism policy in the United States. And uh, I just want to go back to your investing ideas. Uh, I think uh, we have not detailed uh, some of these ideas that uh, the listeners out there can make use of. I guess the, the main idea is that from the conversation earlier, you probably realized we are pro-America. So the, main, uh, the, first, uh, the first idea is invest in American companies. 
<laughs> I, can, I can almost hear you. You're going to sing the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so how are we going to look about it? If we, if we are pro-America, that's step one, right? Then step two is what companies are going to benefit the most. So I mentioned tech. Uh, what are the other companies? So uh, one co- company is con- uh, consumer staples. So, so the first example I'll give is FMB. If you have a protectionist environment, uh, if another brand from uh, London comes in, let's say Pratt tries to enter America, let's just assume the protectionist environment works and Pratt, it's going to be tough for Pratt to enter America. So that means McDonald's will do better in comparison to their competition. And that's it within their own country, right? So protecting American F&B companies, and that, and that extends to apparel. Um, Uniqlo entering uh, H&M, Zara, ex- example, if they have more protectionist environment, it's going to favor Gap. It's going to favor American apparel, American companies. So we're looking at consumer, the obvious choices, right? The next step, this we don't invest in. I mean, if you have the game to do it, if you're, and then investing is about understanding what you're, where you're putting your money at. Uh, a lot of people gamble. We don't gamble. Uh, we don't advise any of the listeners to gamble. Um, but the, the obvious choice is construction, uh, because we talked about the wall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit fuzzy right now, the w- wall project. Yeah. Uh, they've not really identified how to do it, but you're on the lookout for construction, please. So I'm not on the lookout because con- to evaluate construction companies is a real difficult thing to do. Uh, we're not, uh, we develop a skill in certain industries and we probably take ourselves three years to develop a skill in a new industry, then only we start investing. So it's construction is not something, it's a very cyclical industry. It's a good cyclical time to get in now, but we like long-term investing. So we're not into construction per se. But for example, when Trump won, construction stocks went up 30%. And, and if the wall gets built, if they improve their airports, which he said he was trying to do to get their airport, all the infrastructure as good as it was in Asian countries, or at least in Asian countries, um, then um, construction would be a good sector. But why not construction and the likes of industrial and uh, manufacturing right now? Because given that the perception is that these sectors will be the key uh, beneficiaries from Trump policies, at least in the near term. So why bother with a three-year plan of gaining scale when you can make that arbitrage in the near term? Yeah, because our investment strategy is different. There are two types of investment strategies. One is called the event strategy, which is you find out what is happening in the, in the medium, short term, and you go invest in it. But that uh, if you never develop the knowledge in that industry, uh, you're going in with like 50% information. So if you get it wrong, and out of uh, 10 companies, there are going to be some that fail. The only one guy is going to get the construction contract. You know, not everybody is going to get it. So if you don't know the industry well, you might accidentally pick the wrong company. And so that's that's our philosophy. Only if we know the industry and the companies very well, then we will go into it. And then we will try to uh, play with the event-driven strategies in the industries that we know. You mentioned tech earlier, which is a very wide sector. You know, there's yeah. hardware, there's software, there's online media platforms. Yes. What in tech are you buying? Yeah, we know the whole sector. I mean, when we started out, for example, uh, my name is CIO, but actually I'm also a chief IT officer in the company. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah, so in tech, there's a, the, we are quite familiar with the whole space from hardware to software. They're all interlinked at the end of the day. They all have their do, uh, different nuances. Um, they all will benefit. It's just picking the right ones. Are you afraid of tech valuations, very frothy valuations? Yeah, so we, we seg- it's a good question, uh, and I didn't mention it earlier. We segment uh, tech to two parts. One is uh, VC tech. 
venture capital tech, companies that haven't made a profit yet but have extremely high valuations, mm-hmm. probably haven't made much revenue yet but extremely high valuations. So don't, we don't touch those those guys. We we touch things what we call legacy tech, companies like Microsoft, Apple, oh, wow. Intel, really? Broadcom. We stay away from companies. These like, are almost old economy stocks. Yeah, and and at the end of the day, every everything we do involves a tech device, our phones, this mic. There's a there's a chip inside. So if it's a chip, somebody's manufacturing it. Maybe it's Broadcom. Or it's, Broadcom is for phones, but um, somebody's manufacturing this chip. Um, and all your PCs, uh, Intel is manufacturing a chip in your PC, and all this data is being stored somewhere. So cloud is going to happen. So any storage company is going to benefit. The enterprise side of it, uh, Microsoft. Um, Amazon, Amazon does a lot of enterprise. They're going to benefit. Uh, so there's no need to be. Uh, I mean, it's nice to to uh, to go out and be with all these VC and then like jump around and have the pool parties and sit on the boat. <laughs> but then, and then the money is great, greater than <laughs> than all of this, right? But at the same time, how are you hitting that 18 percent returns with these relatively safe plays? That, that's the, the interesting bit. If you realize, if you just look at America and just like Malaysia, they call goring stocks, right? <laughs> Things go up and down. <laughs> I think, yeah, that deserves a weird by there. <laughs> yeah, but you see, the difference is the American, uh, it's not goring because this is true companies, right? They, they, uh, they, they constantly produce stuff. Sometimes they just tanks like 50%. Um, and then you get an opportunity to buy this great big company like Microsoft at a 50% discount on their previous price. An example would be Chipotle uh, two, years, uh, was it, two years back, I think. They had a um, food scar because they had an E. coli outbreak. It stopped tanks after that like 30%. Uh, another company, tech company, you ask tech company, uh, Apple 2012, they thought Samsung was going to take over Apple. Apple crashed like uh, 30, 40% off its peak. Uh, just two years back, all the tech companies, uh, uh, Western Digital, they crashed. Uh, they crashed forty percent. Uh, a lot of uh, companies in America, because it's so big, there's so many. There's so many companies to choose from, and not everybody can invest in the same time. Not everybody is good at it. They they go up and down, and sometimes you can buy these big, great companies at a discount. So this love U.S. strategy, right? The obverse of that would be uh, to get out of the uh, markets around the region, the emerging markets. Uh, this would spell a very high risk for countries like Malaysia, investing in Malaysia, investing in Asia. Yeah, of course. And I think you can already see the evidence from that, from how Ringgit is dropping. Ringgit drops and people sell the currency. And I think people already realize that and they're selling the uh, currency. Uh, but it's being smart about it. There's still some gems in the uh, Asian nations. It's just finding those gems, uh, picking uh, guys that are not as fact, uh, going to be aff- affected as much. Maybe picking guys that are supplying to these American companies or supplying to these Western uh, companies. So there's still gems within Asia. But the whole market itself, it hasn't moved. If you look at all the indexes, KLCI, STI hasn't moved in the last five years. Most probably won't move in the next two years. And can you give us some more details on those gems then? Can you name names? <laughs> we can't name names because <laughs> it's a, co- a company policy not to name names okay. for, for a variety of reasons. But anyway, uh, we can talk about sectors. So if we talk about Malaysia, for perfect example, uh, plantation stocks, right? That is an industry that will always be there because it's, they're selling food. So plantation stock, if you can get in at the right price, I'm not saying that now is the right price. We're not looking at the sector now. But these are companies that ignore the short-term uh, macroeconomic strategies of different nations. So um, over time, these companies will always sell their products. They'll do well. Uh, banking is one of them. If you can get uh, banking stocks at the right price, if you pick the right bank that doesn't give stupid loans to uh, to stupid developers, then maybe... <laughs> 
<laughs> so banking stocks, you pick the right company. Um, uh, so then uh, these two sectors will be good. Um, and the rest, it's, it's pretty tough in Malaysia. They're more in Singapore. So I, I just want to throw in a black swan or you know, maybe grey swan event. What if there is so much backlash uh, towards a Trump kind of policy and he finds that he has to reverse uh, some of his policy? Would you be just hung out to dry with that kind of policy, if there is a reversal, would that be a big risk? So uh, I, I think you could uh, you could mildly sense that I'm a slight supporter of Trump <laughs> and his policies. Really? <laughs> but okay, even before the elections, whether Trump would have won or whether Hillary would have won, it would still be good for American uh, companies because it's at the end of the day, ignoring the politics, it's about the businesses. And the businesses are managed well, they're innovative, they're thinking about long-term strategy, they're thinking how to pivot, how to shift with the world market. So regardless, they're good. American companies will always be good. Now it's just that with Trump, you get this added maybe um, nobody really knows what's going to happen in, in, in great detail. Uh, We're a bit more positive on it or maybe a lot positive on it. But there's a big positive jump potentially with Trump. So even if Trump wasn't there, it would still be okay. Okay, there you have it, uh, this week's version of the SNM show. And uh, thank you very much, Devin, for joining us. Okay, thanks, Julian. Thanks, Han. Uh, that was Devin Rajadurai, CIO and co-founder of Malayan Traders Capital, talking to us about investing in a U.S. protectionist environment on this week's version of the SNM show, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.